Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Michael. I'm part of the ministry staff here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Uh, today, we're continuing our sermon series in 2 Timothy, looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, please have your Bibles open, or alternatively, the corner post in front of you, which has today's reading. I'll be reading that out for us now. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is God's Word. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as John Ace and John Brace opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for how your word is God-breathed. It is every word comes from you, and every word is able to equip your church for the good works you have prepared for them to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with each of us. Father, we pray that your word would pierce us as your word tells us. Lord, that it would change and transform our lives. Father, I pray, be with me, your servant, as I preach your word now from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in the movie, Annie, uh, during those times of loneliness, during those times of hardships, Annie would sing to herself, and she would sing this song tomorrow. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for us. Uh, that would be painful for you and uh, very painful for me. 
Uh, so let me just read the opening words which Annie sings to herself to encourage herself. She sings, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. There'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrows till there's none. As most of us who are familiar with the movie, uh, this movie is about an orphan who's hit tragic times, but at the end of the movie, she finds family, and she's adopted by Oliver Warbucks. And that song, Tomorrow, uh, it's such an uplifting song that just screams optimism, doesn't it? That tomorrow will be a better day than today. And I think it's songs like this, songs like this that have seeped into our culture and have created an expectation that overall our days are going to be better. Our days will be happy. Our days will be joyful. And don't get me wrong. Uh, we will have some joyful days. Uh, we will have some wonderful days. Uh, but we will also have some not so wonderful days. Uh, we will have some terrible days. Danny Katz wrote an opinion piece for the Sydney Morning Herald with the title, Will the sun really come out tomorrow? Maybe Annie lied to us. Uh, he says in this article, after playing song after song, trying to uplift his spirits during the lockdown last year, he found out that none of the songs he played, none of the songs that tried to make him happy, was working. And he said this in his frustration. He said, what's going on? Our music is supposed to heal. Music is supposed to comfort. But none of my songs were powerful enough to overcome the year 2020. I think we've all felt like this, haven't we? Maybe not as a, as a result of COVID, but we have all felt really low at points. Really low during some hard and difficult days. Maybe we've even had some very lonely days. Uh, there are some in this room that are perhaps, perhaps feeling that it's been a while since they've had a wonderful day. That it has been a while since the sun really did come out. And for some of us here, we've been feeling lately that it's been a series of hard days. Maybe even bleak days. And unfortunately, hard days is what we're told to expect. Paul in our passage says this to Timothy in chapter, one, um, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Uh, what are these last days? What is Paul referring to here when he says the last days? Or oh, the last days are today and every day until the return of Christ. The last days is referring to Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago when he lived, when he died, and when he rose again, until his second coming when he returns and he will make all things new. And Paul is saying here, until that time, until Christ returns, during these last days, there will be terrible times. Uh, this is a warning to Timothy, and so a warning to us, that we shall expect some not-so-wonderful days until Jesus returns. So the question is, what words of comfort does Paul offer Timothy 
in this passage? What hope is given to Timothy during these last days? Are there words of comfort that is given to Danny Katz or all those struggling to find joy in the midst of these days as we, we await the return of Christ? In our passage, Paul tells Timothy what we are to expect, what we are to do, and where to find joy in these last days. And we have three points that we're going to be looking at today. First, in the last days, the gospel will be attacked. Second, in the last days, the gospel must be upheld. And third, in the last days, the gospel needs to be our joy. Let's have a look at that first point, shall we? Point number one, in the last days, the gospel will be attacked. Paul says in these last days, there will be ungodliness. Have a look at verses two to four with me, where Paul gives a list of what people will be like. And he says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's not a nice list, is it? It's not a nice description of a person. That in these last days, there will be people so consumed with themselves, so consumed with the world, and so consumed for that which is ungodly. And friends, if we were to see such people, how might we describe them? Or we might call them selfish. We might call them narcissistic. And when we see these types of people, or we don't want anything to do with them, do we? That we would see these people as unclean, or not worth our time, not worth our love, not worth our energy. However, did you know, did you know that I was once one of these people? There are many in this room that were once, many in this room that were once one of these people. Paul says in a number of these, in his letters, which he has written, he says, without Jesus, we were exactly like this. He says this in his letter to Titus, which is another one of his pastoral epistles. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says this, for at one time, for at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We too lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Outside of Christ, the Christian was one selfish, a lover of self, a lover of the world. And in many ways, we are still being changed from all that. We are no longer, we are not yet perfect. We are still being changed and transformed. Some of us, as we look at that list, we might still say, oh, I'm still dealing with that. I'm still working that out. The thing is, what changed, friends? What allowed us to change? Well, let's think about what the Christian has been given. What the Christian has been given in the Lord Jesus. Friends, the followers of Jesus know this, that Jesus has died for them. That on the cross, he took their punishment. He took their sins. In his resurrection, he secured for them eternal life. In his death and resurrection, we are then united to Christ. 
And this union is marked and sealed through the gift that we have received, the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Paul reminded us in previous weeks, when Christ saved us, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not someone who makes us timid or fearful, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit radically transforms the Christian to no longer chase after the things of this world. Money, power, experience, or gratification. The Christian no longer finds satisfaction in the things of this world. For in Jesus, his followers are given full satisfaction. Every thirst is met. Every hunger is quenched. A Christian. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That in Christ, having been united to him, you felt a peace and a joy that was never felt before until you knew Jesus. Are those of us here who don't know that, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want to know that every thirst and hunger could be satisfied in the Lord Jesus? Jesus does that for the Christian. And Jesus also, for the Christian, through the Holy Spirit, having been given power and self-discipline, can now say no. We can now say no to the things of this world, the things that once controlled us. And we can now say yes to Christ. We can now say yes to him and live for him. And what Jesus also does for the Christian is he enables them now to love. And what does it mean to love? Well, it means no longer being a lover of self, but being able to love God, being able to love our neighbor. And more than that, being able to love our enemies, being able to love the unlovable. Hey, but hang on a second. Hang on a second. Uh, Paul is saying here in our passage that we aren't to love these people. Or what does he say? He says we are to avoid these people. Verse 5, he says that they will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. And he says, have nothing to do with such people. Uh, Friends, we need to clarify what Paul is saying here. Because Paul has never called the Christian, never told the Christian to avoid those who are sinners. So what does verse 5 mean? Well, when Paul says they will have the appearance of godliness, it's talking about what God has given every person. That in his common grace, he has given people to be able to uh, have good lives and to to do good things. That despite not having Jesus, there will be people who will be incredibly lovely. That there will be good husbands and good fathers out there, good wives and good mothers. That we will find wonderful people in our school or in our workplace. We will make solid friends who don't know Christ. And we may even have people in our lives who put us to shame because of their character, their generosity. It just outshines our own. However, what drives them to do these good things? Well, it's not God. It's not his Holy Spirit. It's something else. And perhaps that something else, perhaps the reason why your colleague at work is such a solid bloke is because he's a devout Muslim who wants to, through his conduct and his way of life, bring praise to Allah. And this is where Paul is warning us, friends. He warns Timothy, 
He warns us, don't join yourself to that type of person. Don't conform to their conduct, their way of life. This is the context in which Paul is saying, have nothing to do with them. Remember, Paul is not saying to the Christians, set up a monastery and shut yourself off from the rest of the world. Paul is cautioning the Christian not to conform to the conduct and life of the world. For the danger of conforming to others may result in you turning away from Christ and turning to the things of this world, following the conduct and life of others. I have a friend. I have a friend when he started struggling in his Christian walk. Uh, he was facing various challenges, various hardships. And instead of coming to God, instead of coming to God's people, instead of coming to God's word, he went for help somewhere else. And he went to his lecturers at university. And he asked for their help. And the advice he was given was to find help outside of God. Help outside of God's people. To find help and advice away from God's word. To find hope away from God. And it saddens me to say this, but my friend has walked away from the faith. He says he can still be a good person, but he sees that he doesn't need Christ to do it. He says that he can have the appearance of godliness, but he doesn't need Jesus. So he has found someone else, or someone else, to model his conduct and his way of life. And this is a sad story, friends. When one conforms to the pattern of this world rather than conforming to Christ. When they see they can attain the appearance of godliness away from Jesus. And this is where Paul says, avoid such people. And scariest of friends is then what Paul says in verse 6. He says, from these people, those who do not belong to Christ, there will be those who prey on the vulnerable. That not only do we have to be aware of the dangers of conforming to those around us, Paul warns us there will be some that will prey on you during your vulnerabilities and try and convince you to conform to their way of life rather than that of Christ. And this is why Paul mentions women here. Not to say that women are more necessarily more vulnerable than men, but in Paul's context, in Paul's day, they were in a more susceptible position to being lured away from the faith. That people would prey on them, prey on their vulnerabilities, and make promises, promises to them, spin tales of hope found in something else rather than in Christ. And Christian, we can't be naive. We can't be naive and say that this won't happen to us today. Because it can happen to each of us. Each of us will go through vulnerable periods of time. And it's not necessarily the person who's out on the street who may knock on our door. Sometimes the real dangers can happen when we open up a book, turn on our computer, and see what answers we can find there. For I wonder how many of us when we are struggling, when we are dealing with problems, that we will look up information, open up a book, turn on the computer, turn on our phones, and try and discern what information is out there that can help us with our problems. 
wondering what advice can this person, this blogger, or this podcast can give me. Thinking to ourselves, what words of wisdom can this source provide me to help me with my problems? And the dangerous thing, friends, the dangerous thing for the Christian is when the advice that they give has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with his word. And it's dangerous when we spend more time reading from these so-called experts rather than going to the one who is the real expert. Coming to God. Coming to his word. Paul says to us, says to each of us, you own finances in those worldly things. Paul would say to Danny Katz, you won't find happiness. You won't find joy in your music. To look for hope in a lie means you'll always be searching. Always searching, but never coming to the truth. I think this is why Paul mentions in verse 8, John A's and John Bray's. Uh, those, John A's and John Bray's are those two magicians we heard about in our Old Testament reading. Where they deceived Pharaoh with their tricks. And for a time were able to perform the same miracles as Moses and Aaron. And Pharaoh would go to these two as his source for answers. That when he was struggling, he would find a solution with them. However, what do we read? Well, we read that in verses 16 and 19, that they were unable to perform that third plague. Jonas and John Braze could no longer fool Pharaoh with their tricks. It's the same thing with us. Whenever we seek a redemptive solution outside of Christ, the answers we find will not provide comfort and will not provide hope. And eventually, as Paul says of John Ace and John Brace, the teaching will be exposed and seen to be false and filled with folly. When folly is exposed, one of two things will happen. For some, it will drive them to seek answers in another lie. They will further harden their hearts to God. They will go on a path that will lead them further and further away from the truth. That's what happened with Pharaoh. But for others, it may lead them on a path to search for the truth. But knowing and walking in the truth is not going to be easy. Walking in the lie is easy. Walking in the truth is hard. Paul now turns his his attention to those who will walk in the truth, that those who will live out the gospel, and in particular what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what they can expect when they are now walking in the truth. And this leads us to our second point. Point two, in the last days the gospel must be upheld. Paul says, you however know all about my teaching, my, life, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being, de and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Have a look again at verse 13. 
Paul is saying those who will continue to live for the lie will go from bad to worse. It will lead them to further lies. There will be further worse lies. They'll be further blind to the truth. It was a few weeks ago now, but here in Hobart, we had the Truth of It event hosted by the Australian Christian Lobby with the director of ACL, Martin Isles, as their speaker. And Martin just gave this wonderful exposition of Romans 1 and the suppression of the truth. And he exhorted us in the midst of the suppression of the truth to uphold the truth. He said that from Romans 1 that people will exchange the truth for a lie, will exchange the creator for the creature. He said that people will go from bad to worse through this handing over that will happen. And he encouraged the Christian in the midst of all this. He said, uphold the truth. Keep holding firm. Keep holding on to the truth. And he mentioned from the Gospel of John. Why? Because the truth will set you free. Martin warned us in these last days, the truth will be suppressed and it will get worse and worse. He mentioned that it's no longer just happening in the public sphere, but this suppression of the truth is now leading and being taken into the private sphere. However, as things go from bad to worse, those on this side of the fence, those who are against Jesus, will feel that they are on the right side of history, for they have exchanged the truth for a lie. While the followers of Jesus, even though they walk in the truth and await the day for Jesus' return, his second coming, and at his second coming where Jesus will restore all things and give life to those who have followed him, where sin will be gone and dealt with fully and finally, until his second coming, the Christian will face hardships. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, What is persecution? What might persecution look like for the Christian? Well, let's look at Paul's life as an example of what should the Christian expect to endure for the name of Jesus. And I'm going to read one of Paul's accounts from 2 Corinthians, where he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. The Christian is told, If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, then we can expect to be persecuted. They are to expect what the Apostle Paul has endured. Here in Australia, here in Australia, Christians aren't experiencing persecution. Not like this. Not like this. Can we expect that it might happen one day? Well, Paul says we can. 
all those desiring to live a godly life can expect to be persecuted. When will that day happen? I don't know. But until such a day, the Christian is told to keep living the godly life and not to be surprised when it happens. And if it happens, we aren't told to abandon the faith. What are we told? We're called to keep living out the faith, keep upholding the gospel, keep living out what it means to be a Christian. So when friends, what are we to do when persecution comes? Well, we are to hold firm. We are to uphold the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Paul says to Timothy, remember my conduct. Remember my way of life. Remember what's helped me through those times of difficulty. And let that be your help. Let that be your hope. When persecutions come, when times get difficult, hold firm to the gospel. Remind yourselves what you have been given in Christ, friends. We have been given the hope of eternal life in Jesus. We have been given new life in Jesus. And we have been given a promise of a better tomorrow. For it is, in the gospel that, it is in the gospel that we will find our help in the midst of persecution. And not only will it be our help, but it should be our joy. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, in the last days, the gospel needs to be our joy. Look at verse 15 to 17 now. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, the salvation that Paul is talking about here is not necessarily conversion, but it's talking about the path of salvation, how we continue living the godly life, how we continue living for Jesus, that the Holy Scriptures, God's Word, is the means in which we stay on this path. It is the means in which our life and our conduct continue to mirror Christ's. That through God's Word, the Christian will be able to walk and navigate some terrible and dark days. We'll be able to stand firm against false teaching, stand firm against godlessness. And verse 16 and 17 speaks of how all Scripture can inform us. And the reason Scripture is able to inform us is because every word comes from the mouth of God. Every word comes from Him. The Bible is God's message to a broken and sinful world. And Scripture does two things. Broadly does two things. It tells us that salvation can be found in the Lord Jesus. That in the Lord Jesus there is hope and life through His death and His resurrection. And the second thing God's Word tells us is how to live in a fallen world, having been saved by Christ, having been united to Him. God's Word instructs the Christian how to live and thrive in a fallen world. Our friends, the world we live in is plagued by sin. There is sickness, there is death, there is hardships, and there is suffering. And God's Word tells us how to deal with the suffering how to navigate the hardships, how to cast our eyes onto Christ and to anchor our aching soul to Him. And Scripture will do this by teaching us. It will teach us what God's Word has to say, how we are to live our lives. It will rebuke us by telling us when we are following the ways of this world rather than Him. 
It will correct us about false teaching and it will train us to live a godly life in all righteousness. Paul is saying that through God's word, made possible by the Spirit, the Christian will be conformed and changed more into the image of our Saviour, more into the image of Jesus. But some will ask you, well, how will this, how will all this be our joy in the last days? Well, our joy will not come with the sun coming out and the clearing of the cobwebs and the sorrows. Our joy will not come in power or control or acclaim. A Christian's joy will come from knowing God, knowing what God has done and knowing what God has called us to do, that our Lord has called us to serve him. Our joy will come in a service to God, having been conformed into his image, being conformed to the image of Christ. We'll be able to deal with any hardships that come our way, deal with the agony of living in a fallen world, but then also able to live out the calling that each Christian has been given in Christ. Our joy will come from knowing whose we are, knowing that we belong to God, that we have been saved by Him, and that we have been called by Him to live for Him. Our joy then is a response to what He has done for us, and our joy will be found in living for Him through doing good works. The good works that we have been called to do is to live a holy life for him. Through the vocations we've been given as a father, as a mother, as a brother, as a sister, as a child, as a worker, as a student, to live for him, to live out the calling of what it means to be a Christian, to mirror our conduct and our life on Christ. And our joy will also be, be, made, will be seen through making the gospel known, telling people about what Christ has done, and doing this for his glory and for his praise. Our joy will be found in him. Our joy will be found in serving him. Uh, let me end with this story from Paul Tripp from his book, Lead. Tripp says, the master who called you didn't live the entitled life of a master, but the life of a suffering servant. Every moment of his life from the straw piercing his infant skin to the nails piercing his hands and feet, your master suffered. Every leadership community, I want to say here, every Christian is called to follow the mentality, attitude and submission and the willingness of the servant master who called, equipped and sent them. Friends, we have been called to live a holy life for Jesus. We have been called to declare the gospel for Jesus and we have been called to uphold and find joy in the gospel in these last days. For those struggling today, the message that you need to hear, the message that needs to be said to Danny Katz, is that joy and satisfaction will not be found in the things of this world. Healing won't be found in music or in movies. Joy and satisfaction will be found in Christ, knowing who He is, knowing what He has done for you, and the life that He has given you by His Spirit. Healing will be found in the restorative power of the gospel. What we have received from Jesus is a knowledge of what he has done for us and what he's doing for us and what he will do for us. And the message of salvation, a message of the work that Jesus has done, is a message of eternal life and a message of how to deal with the cobwebs and the sorrows that will appear in these last days. Bet your bottom dollar that in Jesus. Actually, more than that. Bet your very lives 
that in Jesus, lasting joy and comfort will be found in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for how you have saved us. Father, how you have rescued us out of darkness and transferred us into, into light. Father, we, we acknowledge that there will be some terrible and hard days before us. And Father, we thank you for how you have given us the means to be able to navigate these hard days. Father, equip us more um, by your Spirit to know how to deal with the hard days that are before us. Help us to uphold the gospel when we are suffering and going through hardships. Help us to look to Christ in all things. And Father, help us to ultimately find a joy in you, knowing who you are, knowing what you have done for us, and Lord, how to respond to this great work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, musicians.